Well, as the uh, boy choir sits down in the, the pew in a second here, I, I want you guys to know uh, my family is a choir family too. In fact, your, your director, Andrew Brown, was my daughter's director in the Piedmont East Bay Children's Choir's uh, concert choir. And Nancy Linford, I think you probably had my daughter Maddie at some point too. And I want you guys to know that, especially listening the boys, this time in your life, enjoy it. Really have a great time. I know it's not always easy to be in a choir. It takes a lot of work, but it is going to set you up so well for the future. So just value this time that you're in. And if anybody's looking for something to get your kids involved in, get them involved in choir and not just sports, okay? That's, 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 that's. I guess I want to throw down a mic or something right now, but, but anyway. Well, this morning, keeping with the theme of singing, um, we have been preaching a sermon series, uh, Scott and Steve Shipstead and myself today, that takes some really popular secular Christmas songs and tries to bring them into the context of the season that we're in now in church. And so last week, Scott unfairly used my favorite Christmas song for his own sermon. I couldn't use it today, but the one we know as Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. Oh, I love that song so much. And he talked about his, some Christmas memories. Well, today I want to share a memory of my own. It was Christmas Eve, about 20 years ago, and I was serving as pastor of uh, First Presbyterian Church in downtown Oakland, and as we got to the end of our uh, service that night, uh, it was time for me to go out and shake hands, as ministers always do, and the organist started playing this beautiful uh, postlude. I don't remember exactly what it was, but beautiful classical music, and and then at the, as, as the music was coming to an end, the organist decided, out of the blue, to throw in a few lines of Santa Claus is coming to town. <laughs> and, and, you know, I thought it was kind of cute, but unfortunately, at that exact same moment, I happened to be shaking hands with a very old-school, stern, retired Presbyterian minister, and honestly, I'll never forget what this guy said to me. He said, in all serious, seriousness, well, I know now where I won't be going to services next Christmas Eve. You know, all I could do in the moment was shake his hand and say Merry Christmas, when what I wanted to say really was, lighten up, dude. Come on, it's Christmas. Anyway... After all these years, and in memory of old Reverend Humbug, <laughs> let us sing a few lines today of Santa Claus is coming to town right here in church, okay? Let's do it. Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list, checking it twice, gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. 
He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Do, 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 do. No, enough, 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 enough. <laughs> I really don't want to offend anybody else. And actually, I really don't like that song very much, <laughs> except for the version Bruce Springsteen does with the E Street Band. I like that one. The tune itself is perfectly fine. It's cute. It's just a nice tune. But did you pay attention to the words you were singing? Those are downright disturbing words. I mean, what is with this version of Santa Claus? He's got his eyes on you 24-7. He's got a dossier on everything you do with unlimited authority to judge you and to mete out punishment. Doesn't sound like a jolly old elf to me. More like the Yuletide Gestapo or Deep Santa. And I don't want that guy coming anywhere near my town, let alone my house, although according to the song, he's probably already there hiding behind the tree. But still, all right, it's a cute, harmless enough song. But here's the thing, and it's not really so harmless. I get the feeling that lots of people have the impression that God is sort of like this all-knowing, prying, hypercritical version of Santa. You know, God's this old guy with a white beard sitting on a throne up in heaven, acting like a cosmic scorekeeper, right? When you die, your, your, your score gets tallied up, and if you've got enough nice points, you get into heaven, and if you're too naughty, you go to a hotter place forever and ever. Now, I, as your pastor, I hope I don't have to tell you this, but just in case, that vision has absolutely nothing to do with the God we read about in the Bible or that we meet in Jesus Christ. And that brings me to the season that we're in right now in the church. We call these four weeks before Christmas Advent, which comes from a Latin word meaning coming. We're preparing to celebrate the birth or the first coming of Jesus, you know, 2,000 years ago in a manger in Bethlehem. And we're also looking forward to a time when Jesus comes again to complete the work of salvation that he began in his life and death and resurrection. And that is supposed to bring us good tidings of great joy. But you see, if your picture of God is basically as a bigger and badder version of the Santa we just sang about then yeah, you better watch out. Now, of course, there is some disturbing imagery in the Bible about what we call the end times, right? Because, you know, if a righteous and loving God is going to intervene in this world and deal decisively with the forces of evil to create a new heaven and a new earth like the Bible tells us, then yeah, things are going to get disturbed. Jesus says, After the suffering of those days, the sun will turn to darkness and the moon won't give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will shake. But then, 
then, just a few verses later in Matthew's gospel in the 24th chapter, he says this. And this is our text for today. You can find it in the bulletin. Listen now for God's word to you. Jesus says, But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, meaning himself, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away, so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Loving God, we pray that you'll grant us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts and minds to understand as best we can your word and your world this day, troubling as it can be sometimes. But we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Billy Graham once said that I've read the last chapter of the Bible and it's all going to turn out all right. That's how I read the Bible, too. The God of infinite love and mercy who created everything in this world, including you and me, and called everything good, that same God is going to come back into this world, tarnished as it has become, and set it all right again. The glorious promise of salvation will finally be fully accomplished and revealed. Now, in Greek, the word apokalypsis meaning, means unveiling, unveiling, apokalypsis. And as I said, the words the Bible uses to describe it can be disturbing. But let me tell you, it can get a whole lot worse. I mean, whether, whether it's in a book like the one that came out in, the, I guess, the 70s, the late great planet Earth, or the Left Behind series, or in all sorts of you know, TV preachers and whatnot, there are a whole lot of people trying to convince you that the end of the world is coming really, really soon, and you better buy their particular brand of biblical prophecy if you have any hope of surviving it, right? You've all come across this before. Remember, just a few years, at least for those of us who aren't in the boy choir, a few years ago, some of you might remember, Alameda's own Harold Camping. Remember that guy? He had this radio channel called, uh, was it Family Radio? And he proclaimed that the end of the world was going to start on May 21st, 2011, which just so happens to be my son's birthday, and I had plans. But anyway, <laughs> then he said... 
There would follow five months of fire, brimstone, and plagues on earth with millions of people dying each day, culminating on October 21st, 2011 with the final destruction of the world. And I got to tell you, in all seriousness, I had people in this very congregation who were scared to death by all this stuff. Now, in case you're wondering, uh, it didn't happen. But what's worse is that Reverend Camping and all these other apocalyptic apocalyptic prognosticators did what Jesus himself said he couldn't or wouldn't do, predict the future of God's plan of salvation in any detail. Because if you do that, if you try to figure it all out, you're always going to fail. Always. Now, of course, while plenty of people worry themselves half to death about when the end of the world is going to happen, and, and now they're flocking to movies like Don't Look Up about an asteroid that's going to hit the planet Earth, there are just as many people, and probably more, who would rather avoid any mention of it or the second coming of Jesus. Believe me, I get it. Believe me. Even so, as Christians, we can't ignore the mystery and majesty of God's promised future. After all, it's part of the creed. It's part of the Apostles' Creed. It's part of the Nicene Creed. It's part of our faith tradition. And without it, without the promise of God's coming again to to bring salvation and a new heaven and a new earth, without that promise, the whole idea of salvation doesn't really make any sense. So how can we deal with the promise, the promise of God's future, with hope, with faith, and with integrity. Well, first of all, remember that apocalyptic language is a form of intense poetry that biblical writers use to say what simply cannot be said in everyday speech. When we enter the world of apocalyptic, we leave ordinary literal description behind and we enter into a world of metaphorical imagination. As the biblical scholar John Barton said, We know that a text which begins, the stars will fall from heaven and the sun will cease its shining, the moon will be turned to blood, is not likely going to continue. The rest of the country will have partly sunny skies and scattered showers. (laughs) It's not a weather report. It's poetry proclaiming that the ultimate end of all things on earth is the peaceable kingdom, the realm, the kingdom, the shalom of God. There is judgment to come because God is just. But remember this, if you have the idea in your head that the uh, end of time It's going to be like a judgment day or or a courtroom or something like that. Know that Jesus Christ, who is the one who has done everything he could possibly do, even give his own life up for you, he's not only the judge, 
He's the counsel for the defense. I hope that gives you some comfort when you hear all these terrible things that are going to happen. Also, consider how we modern people tend to think of time itself. We tend to think of it as being exclusively linear, right? Like clockwork. Tick, tick, tick. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. But in the Bible, there's another way of thinking about time, too. A few months ago, I preached a sermon where I talked about the difference between the two Greek words that we translate both of them into English as time. There's chronos, which is linear, the linear sequence of events, chronological. And then there's kairos, which we can translate as something like the appointed time for God's purpose. It's a moment a season. It's a time that is, in a sense, timeless. You can't count it. So in the season of Advent, when we ponder the coming of Christ, it's helpful to realize that even now, in this present moment, we are living in the mystery of God's redemptive time. That is, Jesus has come, Jesus comes now, and Jesus will come again. They're all part of God's constant, eternal act of salvation and redemption. That's Kairos time. When God's purpose and power is always apparent, or should be if we have eyes to see. Jesus does say, that people will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon this world. He says that. But don't immediately assume that what he's talking about is some far-off moment in chronological time. Those words are now. Because our world, our cities, our homes, our church is full of people who live in fear. People are afraid right now. They're afraid of losing their job. They're afraid of losing their income, their health, their health care. They're afraid of losing a loved one or a marriage. They're afraid of losing decency, democracy, opportunity, or hope in this society. The list of fears is nearly endless. Yet, be honest. Has there ever been a time in history when we have not been filled with such fears? We may imagine that the past was better and safer and cleaner, more stable, but that's not really the case. You see, we human beings are fragile. We're fallible. And our history is filled with fear. And the stupid devastating, destructive things we do to each other and to our planet when we live in fear. So a central theme of Advent, the season we're in right now, before Christmas, is the call to hope, the call to have faith, and to live into the promise that God is always with us in Jesus Christ. The word the Bible uses, the name is Emmanuel. God is with us. 
There's an old story I really like about a rabbi named Joshua. And he's walking along the street one day in his town, and suddenly he bumps into the prophet Elijah. He popped right out of the Bible, <laughs> right down from heaven. The prophet Elijah, and stunned, but seizing the moment, Rabbi Joshua says to uh, Elijah, he asks him the obvious question, Elijah, when is the Messiah coming? And Elijah responded, why are you asking me? The Messiah this day is at the gate of the city. Go ask him. So Rabbi Joshua did what Elijah told him to do. He goes out to the gate of the city, and sure enough, there was the Messiah. He was healing the sick and bandaging the wounded and loving the children. Master, when are you coming? We've been waiting so long, says Rabbi Joshua. And the Messiah replies, today, my son, I am coming. So the rabbi runs back into town and he tells everybody at the top of his lungs, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. But at the end of the day, the Messiah had not appeared in town. And everyone started to ridicule Rabbi Joshua. So he never made that mistake again. And then one day, many, many years later, the rabbi stumbled upon the prophet Elijah one more time. And he said, you misled me, Elijah. You said the Messiah was here, but he never came. And Elijah said, you're a rabbi. Surely you ought to know that the Messiah comes only when we pay attention to where he's already at work. story reminds me of something that another singer, Bono of the band U2, uh, he said this in an interview a few years ago. He said this, God is in the slums, in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. God is in the silence of a mother who has infected her child with a virus that will end both their lives. God is in the cries heard under the rubble of war. God is in the debris of wasted opportunity and lives. And God is with us when we are with them. Well, this morning, I invite you to pay attention to where God is right now in this world and in your life, where is God? Don't just watch out and cower in fear. Keep awake, Jesus says, as shepherds kept their watching or silent flocks the night he was born. Prepare a room in your heart for the coming of the Lord who is always already here. And then get ready to join him as best you can and whenever you can in his work of healing, loving, and setting people free. In Jesus' name.